Hi, everybody. Welcome to our second Paddock Pass podcast note show from the Motul Grand Prix of Japan. It's Friday. We've had the first day of action on track. We've been watching, listening, transcribing, trying to stay awake. Uh, Mr. David Emmett, how are your efforts going? Uh, not all that well, to be perfectly honest. My uh, These flyaways uh, run entirely counter to my natural body clock, which wants me to go to sleep at three o'clock in the morning rather than get up at three o'clock in the morning. So um, I am really too old for this nonsense. Uh, Neil, you haven't troubled the Japanese authorities by trying to get in through border control again for I don't know how many years of succession now. Uh, so you're at home, but how was your body clock coping with the, the reverse time schedule? Uh, it was coping not so bad considering I woke at 6.40, 6.50, uh, uh, just as Model 2 was uh, coming into life. So... Um, yeah, I can't say that I stayed up or got up early to watch all the sessions, but I, I, I caught two sessions and then watched highlights of the other. So, um, yes, I, I think I deserve a, a small round of applause for that. Better than Dave anyway. <laughs> yeah, those barely audible hand clap. I think that's that's pretty much the, the maximum you deserve, Neil. But listen, we've had fantastic conditions. You, you, that... Go on. Sorry. You were up probably up, shard, fed, had a gym session by that time when I woke up, I'd imagine. Uh, I was actually watching uh, P2 whilst on the exercise bike, Neil. But uh, yeah, uh, that's the benefit of having two teenagers in the house that have to be out of the house by 7.15. Yeah. Goodbye to any lay-ins ever. But what I was going to say was that, you know, Motegi has had some fantastic weather. Uh, the forecast for tomorrow doesn't seem particularly shining. Uh, we might have a chance of rain over there in Japan, but the first sessions have been taking place in decent temperatures and in sunshine. The track has been offering up quite a bit of grip. And uh, Dave, we've seen the lap record shattered. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo's effort in 2015 has finally fallen. I think, um, you know, there was some inquiries, some questions as to why it's taken so long for MotoGP to batter that particular distinction. And it just seems to be a combination of Motegi disappearing from the calendar for two years due to the pandemic and also just the erratic weather conditions normally around this Grand Prix. Finally, MotoGP had a full throttled attack at the track. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've seen so often that uh, it's been very cold, it's been wet, um, uh, it's been foggy. We've had pretty much every weather condition at Ntegi except for um, lovely, dry, bright sunshine. It's seemed also to be um, before the... Uh, I can't remember if it was before the Eyjafjallajökull uh, Yukut volcano or the tsunami and earthquake um, where Motegi used to be at the start of the season and then they moved it to the end of the season. At the start of the season, weather tended to be a little bit better. So um, that has had an effect. But I mean, like this, the, the, the one reason that the, this... Um, record stood for so long was because it was all about braking you know you really make the speed around Motegi in braking and the Bridgestone front was much better than the, the than the Michelin front yeah it was that was where everyone was making up the time um there are two more well there are actually three more records left which is at, uh, in Argentina both the lap the pole record and the lap record or the outright lap record and the race lap record uh, and of course, in uh, Phillip Islands, the uh, 2013 uh, sprint race, where there was the compulsory uh, pit stop. So I think that one is going to stand for a little while yet. 
Dave, if I wasn't your friend, I would ask you to repeat the name of that volcano at least five times very quickly, but um, I'll save you that particular agony. And uh, Neil, I, I, uh, I like I like a bit of I like a bit of Icelandic. Neil, uh, Digia was the first rider to get under the lap record, and then followed, of course, by Brad Binder, who headed combined times after the first day. Uh, KTM using that new carbon chassis. From what we know, they only have one. Uh, Jack Miller crashed in the session, and he had to revert back to the old configuration that the guys have on the RC16. Um, what's kind of your view on how Digia and also Binder managed to, especially in the case of the Italian, how did they manage to achieve that particular speed? Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Digia has had um, a couple of occasions this year where he's shown himself to be pretty handy, pretty fast in certain conditions at certain tracks in the time attack mode. Um, and he is riding a Ducati, which you have to say is, is probably the, the most sorted package uh, for this layout. Um, but with Binder, it was definitely definitely interesting. I think he said after today that it was uh, his best Friday in quite some time. It seems that the um, you know the, the impressions that he had at the Mizano test when he tested the carbon fiber chassis for the first time, um, they were confirmed here. He thought that it really touched on KTM's big weakness this year, which was kind of rear grip coming out of the uh, out of the corners. He feels that that has definitely benefited. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, Binder is one of those guys that traditionally, since he's come into MotoGP, has been a bit of a slow starter, gradually built his way up through the weekend. So I think we can infer that um, he's in really strong shape to be this strong and this fast and, and, and speaking this kind of enthusiastically about his feeling. He said, you know, rear grip isn't perfect, but it's definitely an improvement on using the the, the kind of the, the steel frellis. uh frame that he was using before. Um, it's uh, It's looking pretty good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Binder, of course, <laughs> runner-up in Motegi last year as well. I'm going to keep him. Actually, I might slide him across to the gold position in my fantasy team. He's been there all season. He's let me down the last couple of races, but um, I'm definitely going to... I might even boost the South African. I think I fancy his chances at the moment. Yeah, I've uh, just added Binder to my fantasy team. I booted um, uh, Maverick and Jorge Martin to make way for Mark Abzeki and Brad Binder, but mainly just to get Binder in. I needed the cash. Well, uh, Jorge Martin, I mean, that might have been a bit hasty, Dave. Uh, you know, he was commenting to the media in his debrief that he feels good, he feels consistent. He's struggling a little bit for one lap pace. But, uh, you know, Martin also was right there. I had a small runoff this morning uh, straight into the gravel, but there was nothing to worry about. Um, Peko Bagnaia, amongst the Ducati Triumvirate going for the title, was probably the guy who made the most progress. Uh, it seemed like quite a laboured day for, for the Italian and the reigning world champion, but he claims to have solved some of the issues he's had um, with stability under the rear, rear end of the bike under braking and seems much more happier. Um, Bezeki, Marco Bezeki, of course, you know, also seeming quite nonchalant about his chances. Out of those particular three riders, guys, who, who would we kind of tip to be the most potent at the moment? I mean, I would, I would say, I mean, like, Martin looks the most settled. He also, in his pace, his pace just looks just outstanding. He really does look like he's got everything under under control. His pace is better than Binder's. I mean, Binder's is uh, and Binder's looks pretty good. Um, uh, uh, but I would keep an eye on Pekka Banyai because if they have sorted this braking problem, he said it was sort of like it was a little bit of mechanical, uh, a little bit of uh, electronics, uh, and a little bit of riding of having to understand how to change his riding to deal with the the, the way that the bike is going to work. Um, that I think is is really the, the the big thing, and I think it's um, if he has things back on track, 
then I think, you know, he can sort of regain the momentum. So it's going to be interesting to see. It looks like it's going to rain tomorrow. That is a real shame because then, you know, all of this is going to be, end up sort of being meaningless and we won't really know until we get to maybe, you know, Indonesia or maybe even sort of uh, uh, Sepang because, you know, Phillip Island isn't going to tell us very much. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's a very... It, there are interesting things going on there, I think. Yeah, I think um, I agree with Dave. Martin certainly looks at this stage better, but um, Banyaya seemed pretty jubilant in his debrief that they had turned a corner. Um, I think Paolo Chiabatti was being interviewed midway through P2 by Jack Appiard down in pit lane. He was saying that, you know, Peko's frustrations and struggles were very much continuing. And you, he was, I think, down 13th or maybe a, a wee bit lower um, with, uh, you know, five minutes or so to play. Um, you know, there were one or two hand gestures which looked like he was a bit frustrated. I think he cut or he touched the green exit in turn one on one of his flat, late flying laps. And it was looking like, okay, this could be this could be dodgy. He's not going to go straight through to Q2. But then with that late time, everything kind of came. And certainly listening to his words afterwards, he did sound uh, a lot happier. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I would say that uh, maybe a bit early to say Peck was back. But, um, but yeah, um, certainly... He's taking a step in the right direction today. Staying on the Italian theme, Neil, you were working through the media debrief transcripts for the Aprilias. Um, Alessia Spargaro looking a little bit faster, a little bit more happy. Is that the case? Absolutely. Yeah, he was definitely uh, happier. Um, we know that uh, this kind of layout with a lot of emphasis on very, very, very heavy braking areas is maybe not completely suited to the Aprilias. We look at, um, or you, you think back to the, the Red Bull ring, for example, when certainly Aleish had a tough time of it. Maverick managed to get a couple of top six finishes, but I think it was more Maverick's prowess and the brakes that was making the difference. Aleish was saying that it's just not really his kind of style of, of track, which, which kind of suits him. You know, lots of upright braking. I think he excels more when you're kind of braking in the angle. Um, but um, yeah, he was pleasantly surprised by the Aprilia's performance today. Um, third fastest, um, you know, well under the lap record. Positively surprised by um, by the the RSGP's performance. Um, you know, he did say it's only Friday, so let's wait and see. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think the Aprilia, which you know maybe isn't the most competitive package on the brakes when you compare it to both um, Ducati and KTM, I think it was decent. And Vinales was eighth, in spite of doing quite a bit of testing with different aero packets with I think he had um uh he was trying the wings was it on his uh, seat unit um and he said this was kind of like the second or third time now that they've tried them and there's no conclusive um improvement really in fact he was feeling a little bit weaker so Maverick was thinking you know revert back to his setup from India um, and he he feels it could be more competitive as well. So, yeah, maybe we weren't including Aprilia in the, uh, the kind of podium conversation um, before the weekend, but maybe there'll be a bit of a factor perhaps in, in the five of the top five. Dave, the Japanese in Japan, has the uh, Bollywood tape got slightly stuck in the deck for Honda, um, you know, after India, because it seems not only are they struggling again, uh, but also there's constant talk around some personnel changes. Uh, Mark Marquez, I thought, in his media debrief was um, to the point of being quite blunt. Um, I'll read you one direct quote. He said, Ducati are faster than us, KTM are faster than us, and Aprilia are faster than us. If you put all these bikes in front of us, then we're 10 to 12. That sort of was his kind of way to sum up the situation, not only for today, but for the rest of the weekend. Um, he was also trying something new on the triple clamps, which was um, pointed out by Simon Crafer. 
always the eagle eye on the uh, TV world feed. Uh, but then Mark was also quite dismissive of this small piece of innovation or experimentation. And mm. um, he said, it was just a small difference I requested, but not in that way. So it's better if they come back when they're ready in the future to bring what I do request and we'll try again. So, you know, there are, I wouldn't say it's a barb, but it's definitely a clear message. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, like the the the, the change to the triple crap is probably uh, helping a little bit with braking stability or aimed at braking braking stability. I think it's similar to uh, what's on the 2024 prototype. Uh, Chuan Mir took the 2024 prototype out this morning and crashed it after two laps, so had to sort of abandon that. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Mark is becoming less and less patient with his remarks uh, about Honda. I mean, like we're so used to him saying uh, some positives and some negatives and uh, never really saying anything about, uh, you know, making any point at all. And now all he does is is be really very brutal. I think that comment that you said about him, you know, their real position being 10th to 12th, I don't think that's harsh. I think it's just realistic. Uh, that is literally where they are. They're, they are behind. I think the difference between the tracks here uh, India was more like Austin, where the Honda is good, you know, good enough for Alex Rins to uh, uh, to actually win. Um, and this is more like Le Mans, more of a sort of stop and go uh, track. There is there's a bit more. You're spending a bit more time on the edge of the tire. You're accelerating a little bit more on the edge of the tire, and that's where they're losing a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of ground. Uh, but yeah, the, the most interesting thing is definitely the fact that. Um, uh, I think it's Shinichi Kokubu is no longer in the uh, HRC garage. He has been moved on to duties elsewhere in racing, we are told. Um, he was basically overseeing the MotoGP project. Um, I think he also oversaw the MotoGP project in 2007, 2008, when they were, um, uh, when they were building. And that bike, that 800cc bike, was not very good at the start either you know it took a few years for basically Danny Pedrosa to sort that one uh, uh, to sort that one out it didn't really come good until about 2009-2010 so yes that's going from what we understand I mean we were talking to uh, our friends and colleague Akira Nishimura about it yesterday and he was saying you know look this is the this is the start of a big shake-up in Honda there are much more much more changes coming. We'll wait to see whether Kuata-san, I think um, uh, Oriel Pushtimont of motorsport.com was reporting that Kuata-san will also be uh, out um, at the end of the year. They'll be finding more people. There's lots of wild stories about who's going to be coming into the team. I think we've seen the name of uh, David Abrivio mentioned. We've seen the name of um, uh, I uh, the um, Aprilia uh, Yep, Massimo Rivola uh, banded about. Um, that is sounds a bit um, so, well. That 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 sounds a bit fanciful. To, to, Even to, Delinga, to Dave, idea. as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, like obviously, I mean, yes. Uh, uh, I would absolutely believe that HRC have approached Delinga, and Delinga have said, uh, "You, you know, you're not going to give me what I want because what he wants is control more than anything else." Um, but obviously there are really big, big things going on in Honda. Um, uh, we'll have to wait and see whether uh, it, it's, it, it will have changed Mark's mind. I don't think it does. I think he still leaves. I think what he does, if I was Mark Marcus, what I'd do is leave Honda for two years 
uh, wait for HRC to sort itself out and start building better bikes and then come back and uh, um, finish my career and get paid a fat paycheck for the rest of my life by them. Be a brand ambassador. Exactly. On the, um, exactly. <laughs> on the subjects of Honda, Alex Rins tried a few laps in the morning uh, and then, you know, due to the pain in that still broken leg, actually, I mean, he admitted that doctors have told him that it's on the way to recovery, but not 100% there yet. He's uh, withdrawn from the Grand Prix uh, for LCR Honda. Um, he's looking at a return in Indonesia, but that might still be quite soon. I mean, people are asking him why come back. And I'm sure he just wants to, you know, start to feel the bike. I'm sure he also came to the Grand Prix of Japan to have some chats with Yamaha, maybe to meet some key figures there with a view towards 2024. But maybe there's also just a contract thing in play, because if he's not appearing for a certain amount of races, then he's not going to get paid. So even if he throws a leg over the bike and attempts practice, then he's logging some saddle time and therefore can justify perhaps you know uh, an activation in his contract where he's getting money i mean i'm surprised nobody's really asked about that yet i mean i know it certainly happens for factory riders in mxgp where and in motocross where injury is such a, a prominent part of the sport so perhaps that was also one of rinz's motivations uh, it's extremely likely because you, i mean there are things in contracts where you you know you can miss uh, uh, x number of races and the more races you miss uh, the the more painful it becomes financially, um, it's just a fact of life. Because the teams also have to pay the replacement riders. Uh, so yeah, possibly. I, I do think there is also something to what Rin said. You know, he just wanted to get back on the bike, and also uh, as Simon Crayfall was saying today, you know, they just sitting at home going stir crazy and wants to. It, it's torture sitting there watching other people do what you know, what you've dedicated your life to. So I think it's um, a little bit of that as well. On the topic of pain, Neil, we saw Fabio Quattararo have perhaps the fastest and scariest dismount of the Grand Prix so far, just coming out of the tunnel. Um, it looked like he just kind of, you know, lost the front end. It locked up um, while he was changing direction as he was pulling the bike back into shape. But he explained in the debrief afterwards that the brakes had actually locked. So as soon as the front front tyre you know, re-grip with the asphalt, he was down. Uh, he was limping, of course, away. He managed to carry on with the session, I think. Did he get back out for more laps? I can't remember if he actually took the second bike or not. But uh, he did, yeah, because he changed the leathers. But uh, yeah, Quattararo, um, you know, Yamaha with Morbidelli as well, still facing some problems. Cal Crutchler, of course, as we mentioned in the show yesterday, uh, testing and, and maybe having some differences of opinion in, into what Yamaha really need, particularly with the engine of the M1 going forward. Yeah, Quattro was uh, pretty upset. Said it's a, a very similar story to what we witnessed through the most part of the, of this year. That you look at his rhythm; it's pretty decent. But then when he goes for, a, you know, he was sitting inside of the top ten, I think, for the majority of, of P two until everyone went for a, a fast time attack towards the end. Um, and then when he did go for the time attack, he fitted in new soft tire. The improvement was two, three tenths, whereas Binder was improving by a second or or thereabouts. So that sort of um, that qualifying capacity, that capacity over a single flying lap has just been lacking all year and has proved to be something that Yamaha haven't got their heads around since the very first test that we saw back at Sepang in February. Um, and yeah, really interesting to listen to some of the comments from Crutzlow there as a wild card this weekend. Um, basically, Crutzlow has said that 
um, he disagreed with the engine choice that both Quartararo and Morbidelli made um, preseason. He felt that they they that was the the wrong engine option. He felt that it was too aggressive, it was too peaky, and it would cause them many problems going forward. But the the factory riders disagreed, and then Cal was basically saying that both Morbidelli and Quartararo asking for an engine next year with more power, and he was making a very <clears throat> decent case today that that isn't what they need. He says that they have enough power. It's just about the manageability, the the, the kind of rideability, the, the smoothness of the engine needs to be improved. Um, so, you know, Cal was was trying to to make this point. It seems like he's been trying to make this point for a long, long time. He said that he feels that Luca Marmarini, um, the Italian engine technician that Yamaha has contracted to, to build its engine for not just this year, but for next year as well, he thinks that he's got... The idea he's got the point and, and has kind of taken uh cal's comments on board um but uh but yeah interesting because it's it's also what andrea davizioso was saying throughout uh 2022 last year he was saying that no the issue wasn't the top speed the top speed comes from good mechanical grip and being able to get decent acceleration out of the corner that will help you onto the straight whereas it's you know what they've gone for is outright speed this year and it's just made it a, a bit of a mess a bit of an unrideable mess yeah i mean if you look at 20 uh, at the yamaha in 2020 uh, especially 2021 i think um where uh, and even even 2019 if you think of uh, how uh, quattararo was really taking the fight to Mark uh, Marquez on a bike that was severely underpowered. He was making it up on corner exit, and he was making it up in braking because those are the engines where a much smoother engine really, uh, uh, you know, really, really sort of helped you. Yeah, and an another interesting thing that Kyle was saying is that Yamaha are much too focused on aerodynamics. He was saying that they have to accept that the Yamaha is a different concept of bike to the V4s. Um, you know, that obviously struggle in turning and need the aerodynamics to help with that. He said that basically all the aerodynamic packages the Yamaha have brought have helped ever so slightly in one area, but really detracted and taken away from other areas of the bike. So he was saying, forget the aerodynamics for the time being, focus on the engine. It's a different bike than the Ducati or the KTM. This, you know, we can make up our lap time in another way. So I thought that was quite interesting too. Yeah, also it reminds me of, uh, I think, uh, what um, uh, KTM crew chief Paul Trevathan said when he was on the uh, on the show last year, a couple of years ago, I can't remember, but um, he was basically saying, like, you know, we don't look at top speeds anymore. We look at the time it takes to get from the start of the straight to the end of the straight. Um, uh, now, there's lots of ways you can do that. If you're accelerating harder, if you are uh, leaving the corner faster, uh, then you end up at the end, uh, the ends just as fast as if you have a really, really high top speed, which is the way that Ducati do it. Or Ducati do it because they have a very high top speed and they've managed to generate more, more rear grip. So yeah, I mean, like I, I think that um, Cal is spot on. I think I think there is a lot to this. You know, build what they what Yamaha need to do is build a better Yamaha rather than uh, mm. build a, a worse Yamaha and a, a really bad Ducati. Yeah, nicely summed up, guys, for the situation with the guys in blue. I think it's also you know, indicative of what KTM were trying to, trying to achieve, where they had a very fast motorcycle, but they wanted to make one that was more usable. And Morbidelli, I mean, he must have spent seven or eight months last year telling us that he had he needs to adapt his riding style to the M1. Uh, you know, I don't know if the Italian's kind of confused as to what he's doing this year, but it does seem that Yamaha are somewhat convoluted in their directional 
progression, if you like. I mean, Crutchlow was saying in his debrief on Thursday that they do have, a, you know, um, some sort of solidity or uh, some, some kind of um, positivity with their direction for the future. So that's something that, you know, you hope will have a bearing when it comes to Sepang and, and when Quasaro tries the 24 bike. Guys, just before we go, um, Pedro Acosta was asked, you know, about his future for next year in MotoGP. Uh, he basically kind of gave a bit of a hurry up message. Um, why do we think, what do we think of that? And why do we think KTM is sort of procrastinating a little bit with making a judgment on their five into four situation? Is it purely because of, say, wanting to give Paulo Spargaro some more time on track? What's your, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, one, Pedro Acosta is spot on to say, you know, for God's sake, make your mind up. And two, I have no idea what KTM are, um, are doing. And they really do need to, you know, get a move on and make their minds up. Yeah, I think it is a case of of trying to give maybe Paul as much time as possible to um, to prove himself. Um, and, you know, maybe just have a bigger sample size from, you know, what we've seen in his return. Obviously, there was one minor bright spot back in um, uh, Austria in the sprint race where he was in the top six, which is tremendous. Uh, had a good performance today inside the top 10 as well, um, in three KTMs in the uh, in the top 10. Um, so that was positive as well. Um, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of that that basically they're trying to give Paul as much time as possible to, to kind of prove his worth. Um, but yeah, interesting that Acosta is getting rather impatient. I think in the interview he did with uh, Dorna today at the broadcaster, say, he said, oh, you know, maybe we'll know by Valencia, um, sort of <laughs> tongue-in-cheek way of saying like, oh yeah, like eventually we'll we'll find out where we're riding next year. And I think this stemmed from an interview he did yesterday in Spanish to The Zone where they asked him, what do you think of the, the calendar next year? And he said, well, how am I supposed to know what to think when it's not even, even confirmed that I'll be there? So um, I guess, you know, Acosta's fighting for a world championship himself. There's probably something that could cause him a little bit of stress, anxiety, worry, things that he doesn't need at this time of a championship fight. So I think, he, you know, he's probably within his rights to to voice this kind of dissatisfaction. I mean, it's it, basically KTM need to make a decision. They need to pull the plan, you know, pull the plaster off, stop messing about. Um, they're just prolonging the agony. If you've decided that Pedro Acosta is your future, you just need to make a decision. And to be perfectly honest, if he's as good as what everyone is saying, then it doesn't really ma ma make any difference which one of either Paul Aspargaro or Augusto Fernandez says, because Paul is going to outperform them. Uh, or, sorry, Acosta is going to outperform them. Uh, so yeah, uh, make a decision. Um, uh, take someone into a little uh, in, into a room and uh, break the bad news to them, and uh, move on. I guess on one side they also are trying to innovate with a new chassis. So there's there's quite a lot of activity going on in the orange and red camps. But like you say, Dave, uh, it'll probably help. And Neil's point about Costa's focus for the championship is an excellent one as well. But um, yeah, let's see if there's some sort of press release forthcoming in the next week or two, certainly before the next batch of flyaways. Guys, thanks ever so much for listening. If you have any questions or points, then please let us know. Pad Fast Pod on X or through Patreon, of course, send us a message and we'll try and get it answered before the next show tomorrow.